Chapter Five of the Harbor of Doubt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Harbor of Doubt by Frank Williams. Chapter Five. Startling News. The homecoming of Captain Bijonah Tanner and his wife did not provide the thrill looked for by the more morbid inhabitants of Freekirk Head. In the excitement of the fire, all hands had forgotten that cable communication between Mignon and the mainland was unbroken. The operator, in the pursuance of his duty, had sent word of the fire to Eastport, and then concocted some cable dispatches for Boston and Portland papers that left nothing to be desired from the viewpoint of sensationalism. In his zeal for filling space and eking out his slender income, the operator left nothing standing on Grand Mignon except the eternal rocks on the lighthouse. It was such an account that Bijonah Tanner fed upon that morning in the tiny cabin of the Roseanne, and half an hour after he had read it he was under way. Special mention had been made of Code Schofield's rescue of little Bige with a sentence added that the Tanner place had been wiped out. With their minds filled with the desperate scenes of cataclysm and ruin, the Tanners raced the complaining Roseanne around Flag Point six hours later, only to fall upon one another and dance for joy at the sight of the village nestling as of yore against the green mountains and gleaming white in the descending sun. An acrid smell and a smudge of smoke told of what had really been, and a black heap of ruins where the familiar house had stood for so long confirmed their fears for their own property. But to see the village content and smiling, except for a poor building or two, was joy enough to overbalance the personal loss. So those who expected a tearful and emotional homecoming were disappointed. Code met the dory that rowed ashore after Bijonah had made fast to his mooring in the little cove that was the roadstead for the fishing fleet. He had half expected to share the duty with Nat Burns, since the recent change in his relations to the Tanners, but Burns did not put in an appearance, although it was three o'clock in the afternoon. Bijonah shook hands with him, and Ma Tanner kissed him, the latter ceremony being a baptism of happy tears that all were safe and alive. Bijonah cleared his voice and pulled hard at his beard. "'Understand you're quite a hero, Code,' he ventured bluffly, careful to conceal any emotion, but resolved to give the occasion its due. "'Oh, rot, Captain,' said Code equally bluffly, and the ceremony was over." But not so with Ma Tanner. She wept and laughed over the preserver of her offspring, and called him so many exalting names that he was glad to turn her over to Nellie and his mother at the Schofield Gate. Hot and flushed with the notoriety she had given him along the main road, he retired to the corner shop and drank wonderful cold ginger beer out of a white stone jug until his temperature had returned to normal. But later he returned to the house and found the Tanners about to depart. The widow Sprague, near the Oddfellows Hall, 
who lived, as she expressed it, all deserted and alone, had agreed to take the family into her rambling cottage. Luke Fraser had brought his truck cart up alongside the rescued Tanner belongings, and they were already half-loaded. "'Can you come down to the witty tonight, Code?' asked Bijona. "'I've got something to tell ye that ought to interest ye considerable.' "'Yes, I'll be there about eight, was the reply as Schofield joined in loading the truck. He found the captain that night smoking a pipe on the low front porch of the widow Sprague's cottage, evidently very much at home. Bijona motioned him to a chair and proffered a cigar with a slightly self-conscious air. Inside the house, Code could hear the sound of people moving about and the voice of a woman singing low, as though to a child. He told himself without question that this was Nellie getting the kiddies to sleep. "'A feller hears queer things over in St. John's sometimes,' announced by Jonah suddenly, sucking at his pipe. "'Yes.' "'And this time I heard something about you.' "'Me? I don't know three people in St. John's.' "'Guess I met one of the three, then.' "'Where? How?' Who was it? Bijona Tanner coughed and shifted uneasily in his chair. Well, he said, I was taking a little turn along the waterfront, just a little turn, as the wife will tell you, when I dropped into a, or, that is, a rum shop and heard three men at the table next to mine talking about you. Schofield smiled broadly in the darkness. By Jonah's little turns along the waterfront of St. John's, or any other port, had been the subject for much prayer and supplication in the hearts of many devout persons thoroughly interested in their neighbor's welfare. And of late years, Ma Tanner had been making trips with him to supply stimulus to his conscience. What were they talking about? So far from being suspicious, Code was merely idly curious of the gossip about him. "'My boy,' said Tanner, suddenly grave, "'I was the best friend your father had for forty years, and I'm going to try and be as good a friend to his son. But you mustn't mind what I tell you.' "'I won't, Captain. Go ahead,' said Code, his interest awakening." Well, them men was talkin' about the loss of the old May Schofield, and one of em in particular allowed as how he didn't think it should have foundered when it did. What do you think of that? Schofield had stiffened in his chair as though undergoing a spasm of pain. The sentences smote him between the eyes of his sensibilities. Had it come to this? that his name was being bandied dishonorably about the barrooms of St. John's? If so, how and why? Then I suppose you've heard the talk in Grand Mignon before this? Yes, Code, I have. And I've called every man a liar that said anything definite against you. I'm getting old, but there ain't very many men here able enough to shove that name back down my throat 
and I notice none of em tried. It's all idle talk, that's all, and there ain't a soul that can prove a single thing against you, even cowardice, and that's more'n can be said of some men in this village. Code was grateful, and he said so. It was something to find a friend so staunch and loyal that suspicion had never even found soil in his mind where it might take root. Two such he had now, Elsa Mallaby and Bijona Tanner. "'What else did those men say?' he asked in conclusion. "'If I remember right, and I was perfectly clear at the time, this is what one said. "'Fellers,' says he to the other two, "'he says, "'Fellers, that young Captain Schofield and Freekirk Head "'is going on the rocks, "'or I don't hear what's going on in my office. "'Then they're going to sue him "'to recover part of his insurance "'on the old schooner, May Schofield?' "'asks the second. "'If I didn't hear the chief say that this morning, "'you can shoot me on sight.' the first answers, and then for a while I couldn't hear any more, and you can bet I was watching the door something awful for fear Ma would come in and spoil it all by dragging me off. But who were these men? asked Code. Whom did they mean by the chief? I was just getting to that. After a while, from a little bit here and a little there, I made out that the first young feller was private secretary to the president of the Marine Insurance Company. That's the firm that carried the old May, isn't it? Yes. I thought so. They've got my Roseanne, too, though I wish mightily now that they hadn't. This feller is the private secretary to the president, and the other two are clerks or something in the office. They may have been up to something crooked, and then again they may have just been talking things over, as young fellers often do when they're interested in their work. Anyway, there's enough in what they said to set you thinking, I calculate. Yes, said Code, slowly and grimly. It is. I've only known that the island was talking since last night. And now I find St. John's is, too. It's spreading pretty fast, it seems, and I wonder where it'll end. He pondered silently for a while. If they sue to recover, what'll you do? ventured Tanner, hesitatingly. God knows, answered Schofield, and laughed bitterly. I haven't got a thing on earth but the charming lass and this year I haven't caught enough fish to pay for my new mainsail. My credit is still good at Bill Boughton's, but that's all. But the cottage... That is my mother's, and they could never get that. If they sue and I lose, they must take the lass, and after they've subtracted the judgment from the sale price, I suppose I'll get the rest, maybe enough to buy a second-hand sloop. "'Yes, but that isn't the worst part of it, Code. "'As soon as they bring suit, they will attach the schooner, "'so that even if the trial doesn't come up for weeks, "'you still can't use her, "'and will have to sit around idle "'or go hand-lining in your dory.' 
and you know what that means with winter coming on. I know. He had seen hard winters that had tried the resources of the village to the utmost, but he had never faced one that promised to be like the next. Well, what would you advise me to do, Captain? Get out, snapped Tanner. Get a crew and take the last to sea. There's one thing sure. A lawyer can't serve you with a summons or anything else if he has to look for you on the Atlantic Ocean. Schofield smiled. The remedy called for was heroic, truly, but was it honorable? "'I wonder if they can do that anyway,' he asked. "'After the May was lost, the insurance people settled without a complaint. Can they rake up that matter again now?' "'By Jove! That reminds me. Them fellows discussed that very thing.' and the secretary said that if the law had been broke at the time of the sinking, I mean, if the schooner wasn't fit or had been tampered with, that it was within the law. But, of course, somebody's got to make the complaint. "'That's just it,' cried Code, springing up and throwing away the stump of his cigar. "'Somebody has got to make the complaint. Well, now, from what I can see, somebody's made it. All this talk could not have gone on in the island unless it started from somewhere. And the question is, where? They were interrupted by the sound of footsteps. In the darkness, the figure of a man appeared approaching the house. A moment later, the newcomer stepped on the low veranda, and both men recognized him. It was Nat Burns. "'Is Nellie here?' he asked, without the formality of the usual greetings. "'I calculate she is, Nat,' replied Tanner, rising to his feet. "'Wait a minute, and I'll call her.' But he had not reached the door before the girl herself stepped out on the porch. She ran out eagerly, but stopped short when she saw Code in the darkness. Their meeting was obviously reserved. In the interim, Tanner walked to where Schofield stood, silent. "'I calculate I can give you a pretty good idea where all this trouble started from,' he growled in a low tone. But before he could go on, Nellie interrupted him. "'Father,' she said, coming forward with Nat, "'I want to tell you something that we've all been too busy to discuss before this. Nat and I are engaged.' He gave me the ring night before last when you were in St. John's. I hope you are pleased, father. By Jonah Tanner remained silent for a moment, plainly embarrassed by the duty before him. Between most men who follow the sea and their daughters, there is much less intimacy than with those who are in other walks of life. Long absences, and the feeling that a mother is responsible for her girls are reasons for this, while in the case of boys, who begin to putter round the paternal schooner from their earliest youth, a much closer feeling exists. Tanner could not bridge the chasm between himself and his daughter. "'Did you tell your mother?' he asked finally. "'Yes.' 
And was she satisfied? Yes, indeed. She was very happy about it, and told me to come right down and tell you. Well, if it suits her, it suits me, was the dry conclusion. I hope you'll be happy. You've got a fine gal there, Nat. I know I have, Captain, said Burns warmly, and I'll try to make her happy. All right, grunted by Jonah, and sank back into his chair. Between praising one man who saved his youngest boy and congratulating another who was to marry his eldest girl, Captain Tanner's day had been overfull of ceremonial. Face to face with the inevitable, Code Schofield offered sincere but embarrassed congratulations. And he was secretly glad that, when opportunity offered for him to shake Nat Burns's hand, that young gentleman was busy lighting a cigarette. The lovers went inside, and Code stood dejectedly, leaning against the railing. Tanner removed his pipe and spat over the railing. "'It's too blamed bad,' he muttered. "'What?' asked Code, almost unconsciously. "'It's too bad, I say. I used to think that maybe Nellie would like you, Code. I've counted on it considerable all my life.' but it's too late now. Young Burns'll have to be one of the family from now on. Thanks, Captain, said Schofield with forced cheerfulness. I had hoped so, too, but that's all past now. By the way, who was it you thought started all this trouble? I'd like to know that. One of the family, muttered Tanner, his thoughts still busy. Then, recollecting Schofield's question, he appeared about to speak, hesitated, and at last said, "'Bless my soul and body if I know. No, I wouldn't want to say what I thought, Code. I never was one to run down any man behind his back.' Code looked in amazement at the old man, but not for long. A moment's thought concerning Tanner's recently acquired relation made his suspicion doubly sure that Nat Burns's name had been on Bijonah's tongue. He immediately dropped the subject, and after a little while took his departure. End of chapter 5 Recording by Roger Moline